0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We have Joe Healy back with us this week, as we are going to talk some Big 12 baseball and some Baylor baseball. We have Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton joining us here on the podcast in a little bit. But uh, before we get to to Nick, we're, we're deep into Thanksgiving or <laughs> we're deep into to November now. Thanksgiving is on its way. How excited are you? uh you know to to be moving into uh into thanksgiving season
1: well it's interesting that you use the phrase phrase moving into thanksgiving season uh because i will spend thanksgiving week moving as a little personal uh little personal tidbit for you listeners out there they say people like podcasts more when you give them like a, a <laughs> little peek behind the curtain into your personal life i am moving the week of thanksgiving but um so it, it's kind of created a um what I think is kind of cool, which is like, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of doing abbreviated early Thanksgivings with, with family. So it's kind of nice, you know, I've got, you know, one Thanksgiving with my significant other's family, one Thanksgiving early with my family, and then uh, it will kind of create like a nice low key Thanksgiving um, at home once I moved, uh, which might be kind of nice because typically I'm having to spend Thanksgiving kind of traveling around to a couple different places. And that's kind of fun to see different folks. But By the end of it, you're just like, excessively full uh which is a double-edged sword of course um and a little bit tired and um you're a little bit worn out from it so it might be kind of nice to be a little low-key this time around
0: yeah low-key thanksgiving definitely the way to go Uh, i don't miss the the big family thanksgivings too much we are rolling right along here in november we've got less than 100 days left until opening day and uh so we're, we're we're moving right along here in the off season and College baseball never far from our minds, though, no matter what time of year it is, and so we want to get you, uh, you know, some, some breakdowns of what we think the Big Twelve is going to look like as we look into 2020. No better time to do that than today, and uh, we're also, like I mentioned, going to going to talk with uh, with Nick Lofton about what the Bears have. Uh, this year, they're coming off of a couple really nice years. The The last couple uh, winning the Big 12 tournament in 2018 and then last year, kind of ju- just short of uh, the Big 12 regular season title finishing. I think it was half a game behind Texas Tech. So we will get to all of that in a second. I did want to mention before we get into it. That Head of the Class, Baseball America's new college book is available for pre-order at store.baseballamerica.com. You've heard me talk about it before this fall. Uh, But I do think that if you haven't checked it out, you really should, because if you're listening to a college baseball podcast in November, you're really going to enjoy the trip down memory lane that that book provides. And it's just a great way to get you through the winter It'll be shipping soon for the people that have pre-ordered. If it hasn't shipped already, it's just a great way to get you through the winter until that February 14 opening day. And uh, you know we got some dark months coming up here in, in December and January uh, if we're going to get real here. Uh, and, and I think this book head of, head of the class uh, can be a, a bright light for you to to get you through the college baseball winter. Uh, so make sure. To check that out over at store.baseballamerica.com, and with that, now let's uh, let's get to Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton today on the Baseball America College Podcast. We're very happy to welcome Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton to the show. Nick, I'm sure it's been a busy fall for you. Are, are you uh, starting to uh, feel like the season's coming up here with uh, as we get deeper into to November and get towards Thanksgiving?
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, baseball season is just around the corner and really excited uh, about the season we're going to have this year, about the team we're going to have and ready to get things rolling.
0: You're coming off of uh, two really strong years uh, as a freshman and then as, as a sophomore in 2019, just for yourself and also for for Baylor making the tournament uh, both years and winning the, the Big 12 tournament your, your freshman year and, and coming close to winning the, the regular season last year. As you guys look to take steps forward in 2020, what was the vibe around the club this fall?
2: I mean, shoot, we came in this fall just with a winning mentality, and that's kind of how we built our culture here at Baylor, is just being able to do the little things right and do whatever it takes to win. That's kind of what helped us in the past with success as far as uh, freshman year winning the Big 12 and then. Uh, just half a game shy last year winning the conference championship uh regular season. Uh but it's just the, the the vibe that we get in the locker room with everything that we do on the field. Uh we do with intense. Uh the intensity's high, the effort's there and we just focus on winning every single day, whether that's uh on the field in practice or in a game.
1: Fall is often kind of a time for skill development and kind of taking time to, to round out your game a little bit. For you personally, what have you been working on this fall that you want to be able
2: to roll out when the season starts in the spring? Well, I mean, past two years, kind of something I've been working on has been my internal clock uh, on defense, particularly. Uh, understanding uh, the batters that are at the plate, knowing how much time I have. Uh, getting myself into good positions to make plays. Uh, but it's been knowing who's the guys that run really fast down line, who can I take my time with, uh, as far as that on defense. And then uh, from an offensive standpoint, it's been uh, kind of not swinging at pitchers' pitches in early counts. Um, I, I tend to get myself out a lot on uh, pitchers' pitches that aren't necessarily a high percentage um hit rate for me, how I I to put it. Um, so basically being able to work myself in the deep count, skin myself into a good position to have some success at the plate, uh, being patient, waiting for the right pitch to do damage with. You talk
0: about some of that stuff and, and you were able to, you know, already implement some of that as a freshman, started almost every game since you got to Baylor, what allowed you to be ready to go and and take on that kind of of load right from the beginning of your college career?
2: Shoot, I guess it would be my willingness to win. Uh, My preparation, uh, I prepared really well growing up in high school, and then once I got to college the fall, I really prepared myself. I mean, you you get into college and you don't really necessarily want to sit on the bench. You want to do everything you can to play to start. Uh, do whatever it takes to help the team win. So, I was be- I was able to prepare really well, and when you prepare, you have confidence. And when you get put into a situation where you need to step up, you tend to do that when you're prepared. So, it's more of a preparation thing that gave me confidence in certain situations. And when I got the the call, I got I got to uh, to step up and do whatever it takes to help my team win. So.
1: One thing that stood out to me about last year's team was just how veteran that that group was. Um, what benefit did you feel like you saw that, both personally and as a team, from having that veteran group together? And then how can you use that as you continue in your career at Baylor? I mean,
2: having that veteran team kind of made the game a little slower. Uh, it wasn't as fast-paced. Uh, Rod really didn't have to teach us much. It was more of just let us go do our own thing during the fall and play together and just enjoy the time that we had uh, as a veteran group. And with all the older guys, we had a lot of leaders on the team. So it was more of just Rod sitting back and letting us do our thing, which we kind of tend to do uh, last year. And uh, he never really – I wouldn't say he coached us up when we needed to be coached up, but it wasn't – We didn't have to start from scratch, I should say. So uh, it was more of, it was an easier, uh, uh, how can I put it? Um, It was just easier for, I guess, Rod to coach us just because we already knew what Rod expected, what the team expected, what the culture is here at Baylor. And what what we knew, what we wanted to do from coming off of the, Freshman year, my freshman year, with the Big 12 championship win, we wanted to uh, uh, push further and hopefully win a national championship. Unfortunately, we came up a little short, but you know that's baseball, and we're ready to get back after this year. So,
0: after last season, you were able to play with Team USA over the summer. A, a great group uh, of guys you got, you had there. Uh, what just what was the most memorable part of that? that experience that, that you got to have with, with Team USA?
2: She was the best memorable part, I mean, just thinking about it right now, just gives me goosebumps, but it was being in another country, and right before the game started, you're wearing USA across your chest and they're playing your national anthem and you're singing along to it. And it really puts into perspective of how great uh, America really is and, you start thinking about the things that we have here in America and you're playing for your country and you're just trying to do everything you can to win for your country and all that. So, I, I mean, to me, that was probably the best part was just stand on that line hearing the national anthem and watching our flag get raised.
0: There were so many good infielders on that team, guys like Alika Williams uh, and, and yourself and, you know, Foscue and, and, and everyone there. Uh, were you able to yeah. pick up, uh, you know, certain things from from anyone, any of your teammates that that have helped uh, your game?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, once you get to, once you get to play with a team of that caliber, uh, it tends to make you better regardless of what you do. I mean, just being around, I guess, you, arguably the the best of the best in college baseball, uh, you tend to pick up on things that they've learned, and you you pick their brain. I mean, shoot, me not being an everyday shortstop for Team USA, I was able to to see baseball from a different a different perspective, a different view. So I was able to watch a league how he goes about doing his business, how he goes about perfecting his craft. Uh, seeing Foxu at second base, uh, Luke Waddell at third, watching how they they go about doing their business. I mean, I think Luke uh, Waddell didn't play third base for his school, so seeing how he adjusted to playing a different position so it was more of just seeing how they go about doing their thing you start picking up on the little things that they do and you're like man yeah I can incorporate that in my game so so they pick up on little things and you pick up on little things that they do so we we just being around each other made us better tremendously so
1: one thing I kind of picked up on in covering covering you guys last year was that it's a, it's a pretty loose bunch, and I think that starts with Coach Rod. And I was always impressed by the the fact that you know he kind of cuts up right along with you guys at post game press conferences and, and things like that. Where I was at the Big Twelve tournament, so I'm curious who's mm-hmm. who's kind of the ringleader there on that team? Who's the guy that keeps the clubhouse loose? Uh, that kind of keeps everybody laughing when when it gets to be a little bit of a mm-hmm. long season,
2: and you kind of need to get a pick me up. Yeah, no doubt it's got to be Andy Thomas, uh, catcher this year, and. In- uh, DH last year but Andy's a, a veteran guy as well he's a senior this year so he's been a part of the great things that Baylor has has gone through in the past couple of years so he's been able to basically keep us loose and that's how I kind of got about from last year how being so veteran like we were so loose we played with freedom and uh, Rod really was just set sat back and watched us play and let us play our game. So uh, Andy Thomas for sure is the guy that uh, is a guy that motivates us, uh, keeps us up when things are down. Because I mean, people say that this game is a game of failure. So there's a lot of failure that goes up in this game. So when things aren't going, going well, Andy's for sure the guy that's Stepping in to uh, pick you up, whether it's a bad day at the plate, bad day on the field, or just a bad day in general. So he's a guy that we can really count on, and he's a guy that will definitely help us win this year as well.
1: So you're from Corpus Christi, and some people listening might not know this, but that is where Whataburger started. Um, That was the original Whataburger was in Corpus Christi. So I'm curious if you have a go-to go-to Whataburger order. Uh, you know, if you're rolling up to the, the drive-through, uh, what is your default go-to when you pull up?
2: Shoot. I mean, when I go to Whataburger. It was, I usually went for breakfast, man. I love those honey butter chicken biscuits, but, uh, for lunch, usually I, I got a Whataburger from my mom. She brought it to, uh, for us for lunch. So I usually got the, uh, the patty melt and that's, that's kind of what I've, I don't really go for anything else when I go to Whataburger, but when, when I do it's it's the patty milk for sure.
0: Well let's stay on food for a second here. We've got Thanksgiving coming up real fast. Uh what what's your favorite part of the, the
2: meal? What what dish are, are you do you have to have on, on Thanksgiving Day? Sweet potato casserole. My mom makes the best and that's what I go to all the time and I get most I tend to eat most of it, so <laughs> um, usually a lot of people don't, don't get much of it because i have a bunch of it on my plate but uh i when we have like a thanksgiving here in waco with a bunch of the guys we had uh we had a thanksgiving with a couple of the teammates uh last weekend and uh, that's that was what i made was the sweet potato casserole and of course most of it was on my plate so <laughs> but i love that sweet potato casserole it's unbelievable well, I guess if you made it, like you, you might as well eat all of it, right? Oh, absolutely! I can't let any of it go
0: to waste. <laughs> <laughs> Looking ahead now to to twenty twenty, just what what are your goals uh, for the season? It's a it's a big one for you personally, with the the potential of the draft, but also for the Bears as you guys try and take that next step uh, in
2: the in the NCAA tournament and in the Big Twelve. I mean, my goal personally since I've been playing baseball, is to win. And ever since I got here, it was, I figure that the culture we have here is just win, do whatever it takes to win. And that's kind of been our goal every single year is to win, regardless if it's a regular season game, a scrimmage. Uh, shoot, if we're racing in, uh, in, in uh, weights, doing, like, sprints, do whatever it takes to win, compete against each other each other and compete against that other team whether we're up by 10 down by 10 we're going to compete so basically that's that's been the goal this year and that's what the goal it's been uh, this whole whole time i've been at baylor just do whatever it takes to win and everything else will pay off so
0: we got one more question for you nick and we'll get then we'll get you out of here but what is your your favorite part of being a student athlete at baylor I'm sure it's a, it's a fun place to play and go to school, but what, what's your favorite part of, of that experience?
2: Favorite part about being a student athlete at Baylor, it's probably be how close every single team is here from baseball to basketball, football, golf, tennis, you name it. It it's, we're so close. I have so many friends on the football team, uh, basketball team, women's basketball, uh, we don't shy away from each other. It's, it's cool to see. I don't know if uh, you ever saw on uh, coach Rod's Twitter, but we were watching the, the uh, Baylor football game and we were just, and this was before, like 10 minutes before practice. So of course we still had to get ready for practice, but we were cheering on our football team. Who's uh, was a nine and one now. So, I mean, they're, they're off to an unbelievable start. And well, I mean, shoot, we 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 pull for each other they pull for us as a baseball team so they come to our games we go to their games so it's just the camaraderie that we have here we're we're tight we're close to each other and and that's kind of what what drew me here to baylor as well it's just how close everyone is uh as far as an athletic standpoint so well
0: that is awesome to see and to hear and, and that makes for a great great environment for everyone Nick, we uh, we really appreciate you uh, you taking the time here to to join us on the the Baseball America College Podcast
2: today. Uh, thank you for having me. I Appreciate it.
0: All right, thank you again to Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton for joining us here on the podcast. Really interesting stuff to to hear from him. He's been just such a big part of what Baylor's done over the last two years, Joe. And when you look at that time, and you know, it's been a pretty successful period uh, for Baylor baseball under Steve Rodriguez. You had Shea Langoliers, uh, of course, the All-American catcher uh, last year, and, and now Nick Lofton may join Langoliers as a, as a first-round pick, so big time for Baylor baseball.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and Lofton's going to be among those players uh, with the Shea Langoliers that are I think are going to be pretty closely tied to this kind of uh, resurgence for Baylor baseball under Steve Rodriguez. I think Langoliers might be the marquee name there because he was really part of that, that first group that came in uh, for coach Rod, but, but Lofton is is, is almost as important to get for coach Rodriguez to, to not only bring him on, but to develop in the way he has uh, to become another first round pick. And so um, one thing I was interesting to hear Lofton talk about was, and first of all, kind of the nuance things he's working about his internal clock, things like that. And one thing he mentioned that I think is kind of got me thinking was about the importance of, he mentioned seeing the game from a different perspective and I think sometimes I forget that you know for a lot of these kids especially the ones as you mentioned with with Lofton who have played from from almost literally minute one of their college careers is how rare it is that they get to see live game action at that level from that vantage point I mean he's typically standing out at shortstop kind of thinking through the game from shortstop and obviously there's value in that and he is kind of the captain of the infield defense if you will and uh that's an important role but it, it's probably rare the number of times since he was a, l- a little kid frankly where he's gotten to kind of observe the game uh from that that different angle and think about it that way and i think that's you know a way in which it might be a little bit overlooked in how you can develop your game is kind of seeing it from a different perspective so that was really interesting to me when he said that
0: absolutely you hear guys who are injured talk about that but you know he didn't have an injury he just uh you know got on team usa and Alika williams is Absolutely spectacular shortstop. Nick Nick Lofton is really, really, really good himself. But uh, you know, somebody's got to sit in that infield. And so when when that was Nick Lofton's turn not to not to play, he got to see the collegiate national team and a, a, at that level, at that field view from the dugout, and and those are some really high end players that that you're watching do their thing. And so I, I can definitely see how that. You know, leads to to a different kind of view of the game and, and different perspective, and and how important and impactful that can be. So that's, uh, you know, that 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 is a a nice bit that you know, you're you're right, Joe. I, I I don't think about that often enough either. And you know, so when you hear someone say that like that, it is uh, you you can see how how that would be valuable and and where that that comes from. We also asked Nick about Whataburger and. Well, this is not breaking news in general, it's breaking news to me. I don't know if it's breaking news to you, Joe, but I'm just seeing now that In-N-Out is opening its first location in Houston this week. I don't know how you feel about that, but your reaction to that news.
1: Yeah, it's it's a little, um, you know, not surprised. I guess In-N-Out has kind of been encroaching on Texas for a while now. They've got one in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. I actually went there when I was... Um, at the uh, Frisco tournament earlier, uh, early in the 2019 season. And it's pretty solid. Like, like I've always said, my hot take about regional fast food is that it's all pretty good. Um, I'm not really necessarily someone who's going to tear down other regional fast food, but, uh, you know, it does feel like a little bit of a, uh, like a, like a little bit of knife in the back, you know, like it's, they're encroaching on Whataburger territory, but I know that's just an emotional take, uh, an emotional take on, on my part. So, I'm kind of all for it um, in, in general. I understand there. Houston is a city with a lot of transplants, so I am sure there are uh, plenty of folks from the West Coast living in Houston who want, um, you know, who who want to to be able to get that taste of home. I I feel the same way living where I live here, um, you know, in the Midwest right now. That that I would love for there to be a Whataburger that I could go to, even if I had to drive hour hour and a half, what have you, to get to it. It would just be nice to have that little piece of home. So uh, I guess from that standpoint, I can see it and understand the draw to it. Uh, but I tell you what, between in and out moving into Texas and more specifically now Houston and the recent news that, uh, I say recent, it's probably been close to a year now or maybe more, I, I don't know, but that Whataburger was purchased by a, by a company out of Chicago uh, and is uh, no longer owned um, by the original owners uh, in Texas. Was that um, Mr. Whataburger?
0: Was that the original
1: owner? It's right, Mr. What, uh, yeah, his first name is actually Whata. Uh, it was like oh, okay. what a burger was his name, <laughs> so it's Mister Burger to you. Um, but yeah, base started in Corpus Christi. Corporate HQ is actually in, in San Antonio. I make that mistake all the time, thinking the HQ is still in in Corpus Christi. But originally in Corpus Christi, moved to San Antonio. Or HQ is in San Antonio. Um, but yeah, so between in and out, moving in and and what a burger under some ownership up up in the Midwest. Um, there's there it's kind of turning the burger world upside down in Texas, and people ask me. Uh, You know, I'm not far from Chicago, where I am now, and people ask me how I feel about that. And it's I'm of two minds. One, if it if it brings Whataburger to a larger group of people, a larger population, I'm fine with that. I I I think I would enjoy people getting to know what I've been talking about. But my fear is that it as they continue to grow, it just kind of maybe erodes the product a little bit. Maybe those fears are unfounded. But I just can't help but feel like if this becomes a nationwide thing, it's going to be hard to kind of keep that consistency. And I, what I don't want to see them do is water down the menu to make it a little less unique. Because one thing that, that I really like about Whataburger, and I've said this before, is that it is a pretty varied and unique menu. Um, and, I, and I don't want them to lose that and just start slinging pretty generic burgers and, and chicken strips. So um, that remains to be seen. Maybe Maybe those fears are unfounded, but it's something that's crossed my mind.
0: We will uh, continue to keep a close eye on the state of fast food in Texas.
1: Yes. Thank uh, you for as, understanding
0: the gravity of the situation. Yeah. As, as, as the situation develops, we'll, uh, we'll be watching this. But when we look at Baylor in the 2020 season, Nick Lofton is back to anchor that defense. Like we talked about, there, there's a lot leaving the Bears from from this this last run when you, when you look at guys like Langoliers and Wenzel and and Richard Cunningham and on the mound closer Kyle Hill who was an All American did not allow a run last year earned or otherwise in 29 innings he's gone. There, there is a certain amount of talent that, that left Waco, but Joe, what, what do you look at when when you look at Baylor
1: looking at 2020? I still think it's a team that has a chance to compete at the top of the big 12. I don't, I don't know that they'll challenge Texas tech. And that's a discussion you and I have a little later, but, uh, but I still think it's a team that's gonna, gonna compete at the top of the league. One thing that I, I think coach Rod has done a nice job of is, is class balance. I mean, it was a, as I mentioned in in the interview with, with Nick is that it was a, it was a very veteran team last year and it's still kind of a veteran team coming back. I mean, they're going to be young in spots and they have big names to replace the ones that, that you mentioned um, uh, most specifically, but it's still a team that returns Nick Lofton or, you know, Davion Downey. Andy Thomas is a guy he mentioned who's kind of an, an underrated player, I think, uh, just he in general.
0: He last year, which I had not remembered until I pulled up Baylor's stat sheet.
1: Yeah, I feel like I think he missed a little time early and maybe that, you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start. And so maybe, you know, um, got overlooked early on in Baylor's season when they were, I mean, you may remember last year they dealt with just a ton of injuries seemingly right out of the gate. And it was kind of impressive that they were able to kind of hold it together for as long as they did to to get healthy. But you know, the, they, so they've got pieces. I mean, Tyler Thomas back in the in the, the on the pitching staff, Jimmy Winston, guys like that. I mean, it's it's um, Paul Dickens stepped into a big role last year, so it's it's not a, a barren cupboard. Which I think sometimes you when you have these classes of players who have been transformational for the program that filter out of the program, whether due to graduation or, or getting drafted. I think you kind of expect a little bit of a, a reset, but, but Coach Rod really has done a good job of keeping the team fairly balanced. And and I, I don't, I, you know, I, I think I would, if you're, if you're asking me now, I think this is a good team that's going to be in a regional again next year. I don't know that they'll be as good as they were last year. That seems like a hard trick to pull off given what they lost there. But I think it's still a regional, regional caliber club, uh, just maybe not one that's ready to compete uh, for the league title, but I'll, I'll be ready to be surprised if they do. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair, especially when you look at some of the power that's gone. You know, especially Wenzel and Langoliers, they were the, the two, two of the most powerful bats in that lineup. And, and so they're now gone. But, you know, Andy Thomas hit 22 doubles last year. He turned some of those into home runs, or maybe uh, the team learns how to score a little bit differently and, and things, things look a little bit different. I do think they're going to pitch. Uh, they're definitely going to miss Kyle Hill at the back end because when you have that kind of lockdown piece uh, that that really makes everything else work around it pretty well. But I think that you know having those starters back, you mentioned Winston and uh, Dickens, they're coming back and and they vacuumed up a lot of innings last year. And if they can take a little bit of a step forward again this year, then then I think that Baylor's looking pretty good on the mound. and
1: yeah, I think that's right. I, I think it's it's not um, it's not going to be the most high end pitching staff. And I think some of the offensive pieces aren't necessarily going to be the most high end offensive pieces. You know, whether whether there's another Davis Wenzel here or, uh, you know, Shayling Aliers when he was fully healthy and, and you know, going on all cylinders. Um, but I feel like they have like a just a really high floor. Like, I feel like I know what I'm going to get at a bare minimum from this Baylor team. And I think they showed that a little bit like like I alluded to A minute ago, I mean, they really kind of weren't working on all cylinders last year, and they were able to fight through it and and still secure some quality wins while they were still working on getting healthy. And I think that bodes well for their ability to bounce back in twenty twenty, even without some key cogs from last year.
0: Well, what we also wanted to do today was broaden this up and talk a little bit of Big Twelve. We haven't really had a chance to do that here on the podcast yet this fall. We heard from David Pierce last week. Uh, In the signing day special, but beyond that, we haven't really drilled down into into the Big 12 yet. So, Joe, as we look at 2020 in the Big 12, you have Texas Tech coming off of their best ever uh, season, arguably, when you consider that they finished in the bracket final in Omaha, something they had never done before, won the Big 12 regular season. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you can find bigger regular season win totals or something uh, for for tech, but that was that was a landmark season. Big Twelve looks like it's theirs for the taking again. In some respects, you know, we had West Virginia have an, a sensational season of its own, but now Alec Manoa is gone, and you know it looks like West Virginia might might slip a little bit this year. We talk about Baylor may take a small step back. Texas was finished in last place. Where are they going from here? What's happening with the Oklahoma schools, Oklahoma State, of course, reached Super Regionals last year, lost to Texas Tech in three games. Oklahoma missed the tournament, but has a lot of pieces back. When we look at this conference as a whole, uh, and I can't forget about TCU, uh, you know, making the tournament just barely, uh, but does seem to be building a little bit there. Looking at this, I see Texas Tech as the favorite. What about you, Joe?
1: Yeah, I think so. And you and I had a conversation offline a couple of weeks about this a little bit. And at the time, I think I was kind of underselling Texas Tech because I, you know, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at the roster and looking what at what they lost with with Josh Young and and Gabe Holt. And, and I started to wonder about where's the star power on this on this team. And and maybe that's a valid, you know, kind of like we talked about Baylor. Maybe that's a valid criticism. a strong word, but maybe that's a hole that in their in their roster is just that big time star power. First of all knowing Texas Tech and Tim Tadlock's history that probably won't end up being the case they will find guys to be breakout stars they always do but i think what i was underrating a little bit was was the depth here and 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 i i mentioned it last year in omaha a couple times um just various tweets here and there during their run that it was incredible that they had some of these guys who just didn't see the field much because they had the level of depth. They did a guy like drew Baker was kind of a, a bit role guy. Easton Morrell had some big hits and was kind of a a bit player. Um, You know, they were kind of platooning catchers and both guys could have probably played a lot on a lot of other teams. So That is again the case this year, though. When you look at the guys I've mentioned, plus you know Dylan Noisy is back. Um, You know Quiley had a really good season, and then Cody Masters is back, a guy that Tim Tadlock talks really highly about. Kurt Wilson is a veteran who has got a lot of really good raw tools, and then you know Tech is doing that Tech thing again, where they've got a lot of really high-end, big-time arms, in addition to Micah Dallas, who stepped in uh, last season and really kind of acquitted himself better than I think most assumed he would. Uh, You know, he's back along with John McMillan, Mace Montgomery, you know Bryce Bonin's a high end guy and a bunch of guys who saw a lot of innings last year. So I think what you're saying is correct about the Big 12. And I think there's a lot of obvious candidates maybe to take a little bit of a step back. Um, You know, Oklahoma State, perhaps, you know, we just talked about Baylor maybe being just a tick below where they were last year. But then at the bottom, you've got maybe Texas a little bit better. I actually like Oklahoma quite a bit this year. So it feels like maybe the big twelve is a little compacted in the middle this 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 coming year. Um and in a year like that, Texas Tech maybe feels the most equipped to be the team that stands out above the rest there.
0: Yeah, I think that you know it's natural to look at it and say Jan and Holt are gone and where's the star power. But I do feel like we've seen this from Louisville in recent years where, stars leave and guys who either didn't play as freshmen or barely played, played bit roles are ready to take on bigger roles. And I feel like tech is kind of moving into that kind of a a situation where guys emerge as sophomores or juniors and, and are ready to go in a big way. You know, yeah, a, a lot of the oxygen got taken up last year by, by young and, and Holt, and you know some of these other very impressive players that they they've had there, uh, but but a guy like Noisy can take on a bigger role, or a guy like Drew Baker or Max Marishak can uh, you know move into to something there that they develop as a player into something more. And they have some nice pieces coming in. Nate Rombach behind the plate is is potentially the kind of catcher that texas tech hasn't had they've had a lot of stars they haven't really had a star catcher Uh, so if he can be that kind of player behind the plate for them uh, that's really significant and he even if he's not quite ready defensively as a freshman he has a big time bat that's going to play right away you would have to figure and so that's a nice piece to come in for them And, and, and austin becker transferring from vanderbilt i mean he could be their friday starter Potentially, I mean, he has he has that kind of arm. So I I think this is a bit of a reload situation here for the Red Raiders. There are going to be some questions, but I I think that at this point the the talent level in Lubbock is pretty significant. And when when you look at just the the experience that that they'll have and uh, what Tim Tedlock has been able to do in terms of consistently winning, I I, I do feel like. Texas Tech is the team to beat in the conference until proven otherwise. Right now,
1: yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I mean that, that's the the what they've earned with the with the way they've they've um, you know played over the, really since Tim Tadlock has arrived in Lubbock, and in this year in particular, I think it's a year that that looks like um, you know a year we're going to have to give someone the benefit of the doubt a little bit in the Big Twelve, and you know Texas Tech is certainly a chief among that list.
0: All right. So if we're saying Texas Tech is the preseason favorite, who then are we looking at to challenge the Red Raiders? I know you mentioned you really like Oklahoma. The Sooners bring back pretty much the entire pitching staff. So they've got got a lot coming back. They missed the tournament last year, but they're going to be much older this year. Uh, Last year maybe was a, a bit of a transitionary year. Is Oklahoma the challenger i can can we see tcu jumping up maybe or or oklahoma state still uh still doing it or or is baylor the last year's second place team up?
1: i think it's the sooners for me i think that's where i stand and you know knowing that you know there's always something that happens in the springtime that maybe changes your opinion a little bit but i think where i'm at now is is behind the sooners as, as the team i'm looking at is maybe the second best in the big 12 i, I really like you know, rotation of of Cade Cavalli and, and Levi Prater—that's a pretty good start. And if you want to start to talk about high-end rotations in the Big Twelve, I think that's maybe where you got to start. Um, those guys are both really, really talented. Had really nice years last year. And then you got uh, even a guy like Ben Abram, who was kind of relegated because they also had a Nathan Wiles, a veteran starter. You know, Ben Abram was kind of relegated, uh, if you will, to to midweek duty. Um, you know, he's a guy who who could step up and do a bigger role. But but in the grand scheme, you look at, you know, they're they're bringing back. Two-thirds of the rotation, minus, minus Wiles, obviously, but have somebody in a Ben Abram, it, barring someone else stepping up, who can step right up into that rotation spot. You know, the only player on offense they really lose of import from last year is Briley Ware, who was one of those guys who feels like he'd been in, in Norman forever. But, um, you know, he is gone, and they lose some a couple pieces in the bullpen. But by and large, this team is all returning from last year, and it was a group that sputtered down the stretch. I mean, by the time I saw them in the Big 12 tournament, they were – Really, really scuffling, and they they needed to have like a you know a gangbusters week in Oklahoma City to really put themselves in position to get into a regional. and they they not only didn't do that, they really, you know, just really struggled in Oklahoma City and never really put up much of a fight and got blown out in their in their eliminating game. So it wasn't a great end of the season. But let's not forget this was a team that got off to a really good start last year and felt like maybe they were arriving a little bit early. um but it turns out they weren't quite ready for prime time. And I think in twenty twenty, um i think that this is a group that will be ready for prime time and you would know better than i with, with the work you do in recruiting um skip johnson is doing a really good job recruiting and bringing in talent to kind of supplement what was already there so i think it's only going to get better for the sooners you mentioned a couple of other teams that i think are are also going to be in this mix i don't think oklahoma state's going to just go away even though they too are a team that lost quite a bit of talent they've got a lot of holdovers from that team last year i think that serves them well. Uh, TCU is another one. I mean, it was a team that, as you mentioned, just eked into regionals last year, Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was talked about a lot and actually it was given as a reason, um, you know, why they got into regionals. Oh, they've been injured for a lot of the year and they're starting to get healthy. You know, we don't need to relitigate that, but um, it does suggest that, you know, they did play fairly well down the stretch in the face of a lot of injuries. And so, I mean, just improved health in 2020 uh, could really improve the Horned Frogs' chances, of competing at the top of the Big 12. So I think, and to your point, they're kind of building something now. I think it's a safe bet to say that the TCU is going to be in the mix as well.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fair on TCU. I think that um, when you look at what they've been able to bring in from a recruiting side, uh, the last couple of years, it's definitely gone... Uh, I mean, like, I know if you go look at the rankings, I ranked TCU pretty highly the last few years, too. and But I feel like it's better right now. I, I, I feel like... When you look at what the the 18 class and the 19 class are, I think that history is going to judge those a lot better than the 16 and the 17 class. You know, so I think that that, that definitely helps them. There's uncertainty in that rotation right now, and you know, so there are there definitely going to be question marks. But I think that the talent is there for Kirk Sarlous to work with. Uh, it's a matter of them getting it out of them, and how quickly those guys can can take on the roles that uh, they're going to have to with uh, with the talent that left Fort Worth. But you know, I like Oklahoma. Uh, I think it's a big jump in a certain extent. But Cade Cavalli and Levi Prater, like you said, might be the best one-two punch in the conference, and uh, that definitely means an awful lot. I do think though that Oklahoma State might still be ahead of them. I think that. You know Parker Scott, what he did on the Cape this year, it was kind of a brief summer for him there, but he was really good while he was there. If Bryce Osmond, uh, the highest-ranked recruit in the Big 12 in the last, I don't remember how many years, several, uh, he comes in, and if he can play right away in a big way for the Cowboys, that really kind of changes things. And then you look offensively, and Oklahoma State under Josh Holliday has been very solid offensively uh, with some guys that aren't necessarily the biggest names. And I think that I would look for that to continue this year. Uh, Houston Morrill's back in the infield. They've got Kaden Polkovich who speaking of guys that stood out on the Cape, of that guy uh, he's coming in uh, from the junior college ranks and, and can be a, a definite immediate impact bat uh, they do have to replace some power when when you look at the guys that are leaving but i i really like what the cowboys have and you know i, I really want to trust what josh holiday can do with them so i i think that if i'm having to pick a direct challenger for the red raiders right now it it might be the cowboys i think the sooners and the horn frogs and and the bears are all they're definitely going to be in the mix they they're all very worthy challengers but i think it might come down to Uh, As we saw in that super regional in Lubbock, I think it might come down to the Red Raiders and Cowboys again.
1: Yeah, it's a good point you make about Oklahoma State. I mean that, you know, if you feel a little bit better, uh, you know, about Oklahoma State's pitching, that that probably bodes well for what they can do in 2020. Just because, to your point, uh, you know, they're going to find a way to be offensive. They they always they always do. Kind of seems like they always will be. So if, if if you feel more positive about the pitching side of it, which in the past has been more of a question there. But if you feel more positively about that, then I think you have to be bullish on Oklahoma State just in general.
0: I think, though, the biggest or the the most question I get asked about the Big 12 most often over the last six to eight months is what's wrong with Texas or what happened to Texas? And I still don't have a great answer for that. When I saw Texas, they were... Beating Texas Tech in a series to open Big 12 play, I thought the Longhorns were, you know, definite Big 12 contenders again and Omaha contenders, and I thought things were were going great for them. I thought that team was great, and then they didn't win another Big 12 series the rest of the year, and finished in last place. It was a very confounding uh, situation there when you when you saw Texas early in the season versus what they were late. Well, now Texas brought in a top 10 recruiting class. They're going to play because they're really talented and there are spots available for them. Uh, They're a little healthier. Uh, DJ Petrinsky is healthy behind the plate. I know they're very excited about that. And some of the young kids they were playing last year have another year's worth of experience around them. Is Texas back is this wonderful question that college football gets to ask every year and has been able to ask for, like, the last decade now. Uh, so, Joe, I'm going to ask you, is Texas back?
1: Well, it kind of depends on your definition, which I know is the hot take answer everyone wants to hear.
0: Well, that's also um, the, the answer in football that everyone gets to give, too, is because, like, last year, like, oh, did Texas is Texas back because they want a Sugar Bowl or, like, are they supposed to go in a national
1: title? But anyway, I digress. No, well, and and real quick on that, uh, we are not a college football podcast, but don't read into bowl games. Just don't do it. Just don't fall into that trap. We do that every year where a team wins a bowl game and it looks impressive or or the vice versa. Boy, this team looks awful. And we we read because we have a long offseason. We start to read too much into that. Uh, Don't read into bowl games. But uh, I know I'm digressing, but it's kind of interesting, too, how Texas, with all of its major sports with baseball and, and football and basketball, has kind of. They've all kind of been through this period of, of time where they've had to kind of ask this question. And I'm not suggesting that there's like any sort of bigger thing going on. I just think it's probably coincidence that kind of happened that way. But here we are with baseball. And I think...
0: Come it's, on, it's, it's Texas. Can we not like speculate about the governor's situation and who likes A&M more or something? Like, is this not a thing that we can do?
1: I will I will direct you if you would like that discussion. <laughs> I will direct you to some message boards. <laughs> I can send you links. <laughs> that those those discussions are out there if you look for them, you know, but it, it's extraordinarily, first of all, extraordinarily unlikely that, that they finished last again, obviously. And really, it is kind of unlikely they finished last, even as much as they struggled down the stretch last year. It seemed inconceivable they would miss the Big 12 tournament. And it was kind of a perfect storm of things where, you know, Kansas State kind of started to find its sea legs toward the end of the year, which on a side note on Kansas State I actually kind of sneaky like their team for next year. I don't know what that means and like what that that ceiling is, but just put a pin in that for, you know, down the road. Um, They kind of found their legs late. Kansas was pretty frisky. It was a good year for Kansas, you know, so I think that was kind of a a perfect storm of things where Texas fell apart at a time where some other teams were starting to play better and it just create a situation where they they finished in last up. But I think this is a regional team, again, just because, you know, Texas more often than not is going to be a regional team and can kind of stumble their way to one because the talent is so good. And as you have probably seen in the, the recruiting rankings, Teddy has worked diligently on like Texas is still recruiting well and the talent is still there. And there are a lot of guys in this team that last year just kind of faltered down the stretch that whether it was because they were young and there were workload concerns as time went on, or maybe they just weren't quite ready for the roles they were given uh, you know, I don't really know, but if you if you assume that some of that kind of gets mitigated by by maturing or just kind of being a little more prepared or being healthier, um, I don't think there's any reason to think this isn't a regional team. Uh, certainly, I don't think this is <laughs> this is a team that's gonna you know be near the bottom of of the Big 12 standings again. Uh, but that just kind of speaks to just how strange 2019 was, because even when you look at it. Even when, when you look back and you look at the stats and you look at the players and you look at the way the season played out, uh, this wasn't a season where they they kind of got their their record got fattened up by a bunch of teams that oh at the time we thought they were good but it turns out they weren't. You know LSU and Tech turned out to be really good teams. You know I mean that stayed consistent throughout the season.
0: And like um, yeah they lost to Stanford. Stanford you
1: know was a super regional team. Exactly. So it's not it's not like this was one where like oh in hindsight we we didn't know then what we know now and now it makes sense. It still doesn't really make a ton of sense, but that's baseball for you. That's a small sample size, 56 games. I always say this 56 games is a small sample size in the grand scheme of things. Just ask anybody who, you know, writes, um, sabermetrics. I mean, that's just the way it works. Um, so yeah, I think this is a regional team just because I think Texas is, we should always assume going to be a regional team and seasons like 2019 are going to be the exception and not the rule.
0: Yeah. I, I think all of that's fair. Um, I think that several of their pitchers made nice jumps over the summer, several of their young arms. If you look at what happened on the Cape and elsewhere, I, I think that the the pitching staff has a chance to be a lot better. And that would be pretty significant because Texas remains Augie Ball is gone, but it's still a pitching and defense place. You know, they can bring the fences in and they've done that, but It's still going to be about pitching and defense there in large part. And I like the pitching to be better than it was a year ago. And I think they have offensive pieces that they can make work. You know, it is Cody Clemens walking back in and hitting 20 home runs again. Probably not. Obviously Cody's not doing it, but is that type of player on the roster. Probably not. They're they're going to have to, to do a little more to manufacture some runs and uh, you know, I think they have some nice pieces there, and you would think uh, that Troy Tulowitzki joining the staff could help the offense as well. You heard last week on the podcast uh, David Pierce saying how how well that has gone this fall, how how important of a of a staff member. Tulo has become and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what kind of offensive impact Texas can have this year but I think ultimately it's going to come down to to the pitching staff being ready to go and being one of the top 3 I guess in the conference.
1: Yeah, I mean if you just just quickly if you I mean if you're looking for kind of confirmation that the the pitching is is where some of the uh, the upward potential lies as you look at last year and they were clearly when you look at the stat sheet i mean we already knew this this is not groundbreaking uh data research here but you look at the stat sheet and they have i'm not going to count it here but they might have up to a dozen guys who appeared in double digit games and for a team that has its pitching figured out you wouldn't see that so clearly it was a team that was really trying to like mix and match and just see what worked and all i'm saying is If you just assume a certain subset of those guys who had their struggles last year, most of these guys have ERAs four or higher. If you assume that some subset of those guys improve, you mix in a few new faces who are ready to uh, contribute right away. You know, I think that goes a long way towards uh, fixing some of these issues. But last year was clearly a year where they were experimenting. This year, they should just have to experiment a little less.
0: Yeah, you would think so. And Trey Faltine, a freshman, should be able to come in and take over at shortstop. That seems to be the way things are trending in Austin. And, I mean, we can't forget that David Hamilton was lost in January last year for the season. And, you know, that caused pieces of the infield to be shuffled around. So, again, I I just think pitching and defense-wise, this team should be better. And that should mean that the Horns finish much better than they finished last season. Uh, one more Big Twelve question for you, Joe. Who do you got, Matt Holiday, Troy Tulawitzki, one at bat of the big leagues? Who, who are you taking? Hmm, that's a good question.
1: I guess I'm probably taking. I'm probably taking Matt Holiday. Like I just, um, some of this is is is. Uh, and it's kind of interesting that both those guys were so linked at the Colorado Rockies. I hadn't really thought about that until now. Yeah. But, um. Colorado Rockies reunion in the, the – I, I don't think the
0: Big 12 volunteer assistant coaches get together for a meeting. But if they do, Colorado
1: Rockies reunion. Okay, they just might as well have that thing in Denver. <laughs> um, but no, I, so I think I'd go Matt Holiday. I mean, that's really close. Obviously, both great players. So this is no slight to either. But I think I'd go Matt Holiday, and I think that's colored a little bit by the fact that it's so – I'm guilty of this too. It, it's it's difficult to really remember how great Tulo was. At his peak, because it was, he just didn't have that long it's a very at that brief peak. peak. Yes. Correct. And so, like, I'm just betting on, you know, Matt Holiday is maybe the more solid option, the more consistent option. You know, if you pluck him for an at bat at any given time, he was, you know, he was going to be there and be a solid option and, and, and put together a good at bat. Now, I know that's probably not the spirit of the question, but my memory of those two players um, lends me to go that direction for that reason.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a similar thought process to what I would have had. And I wish though that I'd ask the question as for an at bat against Kirk Sarloos uh to get another Big Twelve coaching element into this. But uh it's an interesting conference in terms of big league coaches, uh, because they also have Steve Rodriguez, who is a big leaguer. Yeah, you know, so there there's a lot of a lot of ex big league talent concentrated in this uh in this league. We'll see how it all shakes out. This spring, it should be a very competitive league again. I don't know that it's going to be quite as, you know, it, it was it was pretty deep last year. I don't know that there's the depth this year, but I do think that they have some, some potential really high-end teams, obviously talking about Texas Tech, but also uh, whoever finishes second in this league, whether it's any of those teams we were talking about, you know, they're going to ultimately be in the mix for an Omaha spot as well, I, I would think. Maybe this year they cannot match them up in a super regional. And we have uh, a full sl- array of uh, college content over at BaseballAmerica.com for you to check out. So I would encourage you to do so. I know it is November, but there, there's plenty still going on around the country. And you can find Head of the Class, Baseball America's new college book. Check that out for pre-order at store. Dot baseballamerica.com. Joe and I will be back with you next week. It is Thanksgiving week. We are going. It's a short week, but we're going to give you a new podcast uh, because, you know, if you're on your way to grandmother's house, uh, on your way to to wherever, uh, we'll we'll have a podcast for you. Even if you're just avoiding your relatives in the other room, you need to slip in the earbuds. Uh, you can listen to to some college baseball talk, and maybe that'll uh, help take your mind off of. All of the the ongoings uh, as as your Thanksgiving uh, spirals out of control, as some of them apparently do. According service to service journalism. <laughs> 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 yes, we're we're here for you for that. So check that out, and the the best way to make sure that you get that podcast is to be subscribed to the Baseball America call it the Baseball America podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts you can find us. So make sure you're subscribed. And if you can leave a rating or review, we very much appreciate those as well. Thank you to Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton for joining us today. I've been Teddy Cahill. He's been Joe Healy. And we thank you for listening.